0: Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we're going to drink these beers tonight. I'm Mike. I'm Nate.
1: I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading Night by Ellie Wiesel, and uh, I'm going to start a beer because, oh, oh, do we need one? I'm going to open mine as well. <laughs> I'll just say, uh, I mean, the, yeah, so this is called Fresh Feet and No Chicken by Evil Twin New York City, and uh, actually tomorrow, that's the day we're recording this. They're coming out with the double version of this. It's called, like, even fresher feet and still no chicken. So I wanted to try this to compare. Where are you getting these feet? Uh, I hope. I, I don't really know. Are maybe they it's chicken like, feet? Maybe it's like when you make wine in the old country. Like, you have to just stomp on the hops. Like <laughs> There's, like, hmm. there's like a bunch of old peasant women in the back of Evil Twin just in a bucket. Uh, it's so artisanal. Is, oh, yeah. That is just straight orange juice. Like um, it, yeah. it. gets. It's enough so that I get heartburn from drinking it. But you don't get salmonella because there's no chicken in it. But I, I do get athlete's foot, which is <laughs> <laughs> Got they're, they're question <laughs> questionably fresh feet. Uh, I mean, it really tastes like not like a, an orange of this earth. It tastes like orange drink, you know, like a, Sunny a, D, a, like Sunny D, or yeah, or like an off brand like Tampico. <laughs> like Tang. They get you. Could tell there was a, a fruit involved in the process. Well, I'm not an astronaut, Jimmy. I'm not a Tang. They sold it to commoners too. I'm not a kind of, I'm not a poser, right? <laughs> I'll have it when I earned it. <laughs> <laughs> so night is uh the published in nineteen sixty in English, uh, but it was originally published in nineteen fifty-eight in French as Le Knight. <laughs> Le, Le Nuit? How do you say that word? Nuit. Nuit. And it was I think it was also originally written in Actually, it was published in 1956 in Yiddish. So it's been like translated a bunch of different times. And I read the book. My version was like the new English translation that came out in the early 2000s. I don't really know how different it is from the the OG. But uh, Elie Wiesel was a survivor of the Holocaust, and this is his account of of that of of being at not one, not two, but three different concentration camps, and with his father. And, uh, and it's only about a hundred pages, but uh, holy crap, it's intense. And uh, if you want to get some context on the Holocaust, because you are a, a QAnon person or something, listen to our episode on the Tattooist of Auschwitz to hear how to not do a Holocaust <laughs> book. And then come back to this one. <laughs> exactly. At the end of that episode,
0: we recommended, like, don't read Tattooist of Auschwitz. Auschwitz read Night. Now, I'd already read it before, but it was like, well... We should do We should do an episode
1: on that. So here we go. Really nervous. May not have been a good idea. So I mean, the, the plot, the main character, it's 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 him, and uh, Ellie is a 15 year old boy. He lives with his three sisters and parents in what is say Romania. Uh, I think it was Romania. Right? Well, he's he's it's from Romania somewhere in there. It's Transylvania at the time, but it's somewhere. Transylvania wasn't even on the map in 1944. That's like a region. Transylvania. Yeah, like, I don't know where it was. It's the... Romania. But like, but wasn't Romania like they were on the German side in the war at least nominally? I don't actually know. I mean, they were they were okay. They were technically neutral, but they definitely uh, were. You know, they had it. They 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 leaned towards uh, one side. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, in the uh, earliest well, chapter one of the book,
0: he talks about how the very far right, basically fascist government, lets in actual german nazi nazi soldiers into the country and that's one of the very first things that happens and because and then the family they get their little corner of the city they're they're in budapest right no he's in like siget
1: is that i don't know how to pronounce no. it oh, okay. yeah. siget
0: so they're in romania and they get uh you know they, they're they were already living in the area that was designated as the ghetto but they ha- everyone all the jews of the town have to sort of pile in there into just like four blocks it was really pretty tiny but that doesn't last long because the authorities are told but you know pack every line everybody up pack them up and we're they're all put on trains the character's telling a story he's 15 and there's this like homeless beggar on the street moisha Um, the beetle the sixth beetle
1: (laughs) yes ringo and moisha (laughs) pete best replaced this guy yeah so I, a beetle, though, is like a title. Like I don't know, but I thought it was like a church, like a it's like a some sort of officer, like ceremonial church officer position. So I don't really know how why he's called that, but he's he's the homeless, the poorest guy in town, but everyone kind
0: of likes him. So at one point, all of the, there's an order throughout the town that says all of the foreign born foreign born Jews have to leave, and they're litera- and they're put on trucks. I think, no, they're just, yeah, the trucks are just supposed to march, like, out of the town, and then nobody kind of hears from them again, except for months later, the beetle arrives back and tells everyone this story about how, yeah, they walked us out into the forest to where there,
1: there was a really, there, there's a large ditch. That and they they made them dig the ditch themselves. They made them
0: dig the ditch, and then they were literally just, telling everybody, stand on the edge, and they were just shoot them and dump them in. Shoot them and dump them in. And this guy, the, the beetle, he only escaped because he, he was shot in the leg, but he just pretended to be dead. And then after everybody left, he crawled away. And that's how he survived. And then he got back to the village, and nobody believed him, which... Uh, was true for uh, at least the first reports of the concentration camps that were that made it made their way to America or made their way to a lot of places in the world. They were just not believed. Like it, they not like they didn't have a reason to trust the person, but it was just too wild, too crazy. It couldn't be that. That can't be it.
2: Would you say that everything involved oh, in these, in what they were hearing, and in World War II in general, it was a real Technological nightmare. I think I just had that beer. I'm having it right now. That name sounds familiar. This is Technological Nightmare from Finback, and I'm drinking it to get through this experience. It's a double India Pale Ale, eight and a half percent, and it's it's good. It's a it's a double Pale Ale. You know, it's it's surprisingly a little bitter aftertaste, but it was nice, and um, it will not prevent us from having to discuss this book without. Any sense of awkwardness at all, right? Well, there's there's a whole the
1: whole first like maybe twenty percent or so before they actually go to the camps, as there's just increasing signs and things that we, you know us with hindsight and, and and the knowledge of how the the, the spoiler how it ends that like oh this you could still leave now and they're like there's nothing there's nothing bad's gonna happen. Uh, even or the though, father says, that or the father says, you know, I'm
0: too old to move yeah. somewhere
1: and start a new life. Right, that's when the sons, like, they, you know, you could leave and go to Palestine and just, like, live in there, like, sell all our things and have a new life? Oh, that's crazy. Even though they're hearing, you know, Moisha tell stories about the Einsatzgruppen shooting, you know, killing entire villages of people, which is, I don't know the exact numbers of it, but most, you know, when you think of the Holocaust, the first thing you think about... Uh, is Mel Gibson. The second thing, though, is the uh, case concentration camps. But actually, a huge number of people were actually murdered by these like police forces of just dudes, and like, here's your orders: go in there and shoot all, shoot all the people, kill all the people now. And they're like, okay,
2: don't bother moving them.
0: Yeah, it's almost or before the concentration camps were even being built,
1: mobile exterminators of you know humans. Is you know, if you ever get a chance, it's a really good. A uh, nonfiction book about this is called "Ordinary Men," and it's specifically about that angle that the those those police forces and the way that those guys, who were not even like the biggest Nazi, like most of them weren't even members of the Nazi Party, <laughs> they were just other Germans, and like, "All right, I got to do something because they're forcing us to," and how they would justify to themselves the things that they were doing so they could function they're like well that guy just that kid's mother just got shot so i guess i have to kill the kid can't live without his mother i guess i have to kill the kid now like horrific stuff and all the characters in the in night every time something happens where they get you know they're they're told they're no longer allowed to own jewelry or any precious metals okay fine but it's not going to get worse than this now you can't live in your home anymore you have to now go to the ghetto like this you know four block area Okay, at least we have this. It's not going to get worse than this. Every time they
2: just they were just in total denial of the situation. The concept of what was happening was, you know, so far beyond rational human belief that right. no one would fucking believe it. And they didn't, as Nate said. You know, there well, were I mean, there were works
1: in like, you know, people people writing in like newspapers in the United States in, in during the war and they're like, "No, that's not. That's exaggerated." You no, know, it wasn't, though, the Holocaust itself wasn't widely known about in the United
0: States, but some people did know about it.
1: Well, there were people, you know, who were going into the, you know, camps and, like, smuggling out photographs. And there even a couple, like, uh, there's a Polish dude, I can't remember his name, who got essentially, like, arrested on, I mean, there's probably more than one, but I just remember this one, one guy, with an unpronounceable name for me, who got put into a concentration camp. So he could find information out, so he could smuggle it out to tell other people. Like, Vitold Pilecki, I guess is how you'd say it, Polish guy, uh, if you couldn't tell from that name, <laughs> uh, volunteered to be captured by the Germans to infiltrate Auschwitz, helped organize a re- uh, resistance movement there, uh, drew up reports about the atrocities at the camp, and smuggled them out, and later escaped from Auschwitz. God damn. Badass. That's a fucking badass. He died shortly after the war in some sort of, I don't know the rest of his life story, but. A pierogi accident. Uh, <laughs> pierogi overdose, uh, which is a really weird Polish metal. Yeah. Band, but, <laughs> uh, no, he was executed after a show trial in the years after the war. So probably, uh,
2: yeah. Because at that point, Poland was Soviet. That's what I'm guessing. So, yeah. Yeah. so he had a rough time. He had a rough go of it. you think he earned, a, he earned a, a good time, but he, he didn't get it. So, Ellie and his family, they, they,
0: they, you know, his, all the Jews in his town are put on trains, and they're sent to. They don't know where, at least not at first. They don't know where they're being sent to. They're actually in the last train to leave. You know, they're basically packed onto a cattle car, just like you've heard. And there's like a woman screaming, you know, there's a fire, there's a fire and nobody can see anything, see anything. And they're like, shut that woman up. They
1: beat her. Yeah, they like
2: beat her. They're on the train for days. Because she's just days. like screaming
1: all night. Yeah. In front of her kid, her like son is trying, it's it's a horrible scene. Yeah. Like,
2: so is her, every her other is scene. holding
1: her hand. Of course, but like. But this is the thing, like... But this is, like,
0: foreshadowing, but this is a true story, and that's, you know, uh, a memoir, and it's like, that really happened? Which, well... I mean, I'm not questioning it. I'm sure it did, but it's amazing.
1: Well, it's like she, you know, they. but again, they, they rationalize or whatever. They explain away. It's like, oh, there's no fire. She's just... We're all thirsty. She's just, you know, thirsty. So she's raving. And then they get to finally pull up to... They go first. First it's Auschwitz, right? Yeah. Yeah. First it's And and then like they see the fucking smokestacks. And they're like, oh shit. That was that was a real thing. Yep. Just pull up the smoke smokestacks. And this
0: is, you know, all of chapter three at this point. And he's like, and it smelled like burning bodies, and it's already, you know, clear what's happening. And then Dr. Mingala is there, and they're they well, actually they tell everybody to get off the trains and you know, it's like well, men to the left, women to the right, and so he and his father sort of just like step off to one side, and his his mother and his, his like nine year old, eight or nine year old sister, walk to the other side, walk just you know to the other to the other line, and he says, "If I didn't know, this would be the last time I would see my mother or my
1: sister again. I had no idea. It presumably, and they were just they were just immediately." murdered, you know, probably what happened. He had two older sisters. I don't remember if they're here at this point, but in real life, they did survive the Holocaust. They must not have been in in town.
2: He found found them again in, like, a newspaper or some shit, like, years later.
1: Well, yeah, there there was a huge, I mean, trying to deal with the, like, I guess, I mean, is it a refugee crisis? I'm not sure what you even call it, like, when you have these thousands and thousands of displaced children and you know, after the, after the war, like, where do they go? Like, he ends up in France, that's where he finds them, I don't know, but, uh, they meet Mangala, and, and he's, you know, by all accounts, uh, he was like a, make like a good looking and charismatic and, you know, kind of striking guy, you might say, <laughs> is he the, the happiest devil, uh, they had? Uh, maybe you could. yeah. <laughs> and he had a thing for twins. This is from Evil Twin Brewing in New York City, oh, and this is called The Happiest Devil I Have. Well, he did. He, was, he tried he to sew them back twins twins. together. Yeah, he was horrific. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, the, the Holocaust is such... It, it's Even today, it's so incomprehensible. And then there are characters within it, like Mangala, that are even more, like, cartoonishly horrifying in the midst
2: of a thing that is... Like, beyond understanding, practically. They're so bad that they are actual comic book villains in comic books.
1: Well, this is a double dry-hopped IPA with Comet, Citra, and Motuka. It's only 7%, so, like, I don't even know why I'm bothering. I need stronger beers for this book. That's really great. It's a little, little old. Um, it's nice. I get, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of hop flavor in here. Almost like a grapefruit flavor in there. Uh, it's pretty good. But we should say this this beer is brought to us by our pals over at Patreon. And uh, if you're so interested, you could head on over to Patreon.com slash drunk book club to support the podcast. And uh, in return for giving us actual money, we will give you uh, all sorts of things like early access to episodes, get shout out on our monthly uh book poll episode, vote in that book poll, of course, and get exclusive content and even tangible goods as I rest my beverage on this Drunk Guys Book Club marble coaster uh that's something that sort of thing that could potentially be yours if you're so interested and i almost forgot uh patrons of any tier are invited to join us for our quarterly live episode planning to discuss an interesting book with us and other listeners for a patreon only episode our dianetics episode was a blast and we are really looking forward to discussing uh, midnight sun by stephanie meyer in october not looking forward to reading it at all but uh if you become a patron for as little as one buck by
2: October, we'd love to have you join us there. So he gets to the camp and he gets tattooed and my thought was was it the guy from the other book that tattooed him? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean he, he was, I was thinking at the time. Exact same thing. I was like, is he gonna mention it? He's gonna be like, Yeah. Well, Ellie was Ellie was there towards the very end of the war. Like he was still in the camps for what, like a year and a half before he got they were they right were right put up. into the camps in forty three, I think, or Forty four. 44. He's only, he's only the he's, book sort he's, of, might not
0: even be there a full the year. The opening chapters of the book were forty three. Yeah, yeah. it was forty four. So,
2: but the tattooist guy was there for over a year, so he might have been the one fucking tattooing him or his partner. I don't know how their shifts worked, but they probably had more than one person. So they said it was like him, and there was a second guy always. So there's a chance it was actually him that did it, or it's not because that guy's a fucking bullshitter, and he was a fucking bullshitter, but he actually was the tattooer ist, tattooist,
1: yeah. What was that what was that German? The one German word they used? Uh, Tattooer. Tattooer and
2: could have Tat- been Tattoo Vieira, tattoo Viera? Tattoo Tattoo-y- isn't that the Tattoo-y-n. planet Luke Skywalker's from? Yeah, <laughs> that's what you're doing. That's the gerundive of tattoo. <laughs> the t- gerund, tattooing. <laughs> tattooing is
1: my hobby. Okay, so. He get well, Mengele separates them and, and he goes through this. So they start, he starts immediately selecting people and they don't really go into any details other than selecting who's going to immediately be killed and who's going to be kept around for some other purpose. For and, work. Yeah, for, for, yeah, slave labor. And someone tells them, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 15. He's like, no, you're going to be 18. And he's like, but that's not, that's a, that is a lie. He's like, shut the, you idiot. Say you're 18. And then the father is 50. He's like, no, no, you say 40. And they lie, and he immediately starts to, uh, you know, I guess this is the, the point. And this, I mean, I don't guess. I know it's the point. They start to, like, forget their humanity. Like, that's a process throughout the book, as they f- just lose who they used to be. So he immediately lies about himself. He's a different age, and he lies about what he did. He was, like, a Talmudic scholar in training. He wanted
2: to learn the, the, the what's it, the Kabbalah?
1: The Kabbalah. He's like, I'm a farmer. And they're like, good, go over there. So they start to just deny who they are. I think that's, you know, if I was in English
2: class right now, the teacher would be very happy if I said that. (laughs) Which is where most of us read this book the first time.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's get to that. Yeah, we got to talk about that. (laughs) Um, They go through adventures. No, they just go through all their different... Yeah,
0: different different stages of living in Auschwitz, but they're actually, like, being sent out to work, and then they get sent to a different camp.
1: They go to, Was it Buchenwald?
0: Uh, they get there. Um, no, That's this, the last this, one. Yeah, that was the last one. The, the middle one was, like, just a work camp. It wasn't far away, though, because they walked there.
2: Though the Nazis didn't have much trouble making them walk too far. But no one no, died on the way, so I guess it's not that far. Yeah, it just seemed like they walked there in a day, so it wasn't
0: really that far. But anyway, so they're they're they at this other place, and they're just kind of doing some sort of uh, I forget what it is they were doing, but basically slave labor. They're
1: working in a they're in a factory, and they're like sorting and like counting like nuts and bolts and light bulbs and stuff like that. That's their their job, in, early on in the book, seems to be.
0: And the you know the they they both you know the, the you know Ellie and his father they kind of like have each other and look out for each other, but. His father is actually, he's in his, you know, mid-50s, and so he's not nearly as strong as, you know, the younger people, but the guy who s- said, lie to him, say that you're 40. So he's he has it very, very hard. There's a story about how um, there's like an air raid. It's probably, you know, American... Bombers, or maybe it was Soviet bombers who actually like bombed the place, but when there's when, when there's an air raid or the air raid sirens go off, everyone has to like hide. And it was at the mealtime. And a guy was so hungry that he crawled out to the food in the middle in the in the outside, you know, where it was outside the the, the buildings, I guess. The, the blocks, they kept calling them blocks yeah anyway so he crawls out there knowing like he knowing he's just gonna get shot by the guards but he just goes out there and does it anyway and he like doesn't even have a spoon so he just like dumps dunks his head in the soup and then gets shot with his head like literally like submerged in the soup it was uh grim it was quite grim and that's just how hungry they were and everyone you know watched him do it
1: and they're kind of like oh man Kind of fuck, I want that soup too, yep so um I mean, we could go through the details of it, but they're really i mean we're going we're going to recommend you read the book, so I don't think we need to give away every single thing, but really the next the most most of the book at this point focuses on Ellie trying to just not get separated from his father as his father gets as they both get weaker and you know ill more ill, so then they you know get go to different jobs and like there's and and there's a whole lot of heavy heavy foreshadowing of other sons and fathers relationships where the sons basically like abandon the father or turn against the father
2: like guy on the train that beats his dad to death for food
1: yeah or the rabbi who loses his son on like the last march they do Mm. And he's like, where is my son? And he realizes, like, oh, I did see that guy's son. He's like, wait a second. He might have been going fast in order to lose the dad. Because the dad, he have a better chance of surviving on his own without him. And every time that happens, one of these scenes, he's like, I should do that. And he's like, no, I feel, oh, no, how could I let myself think that? But then, you know, he keeps thinking that. Ellie uh,
0: gets his, like, foot there's something wrong with his foot like it gets infected or something like that and then he's in the infirmary there was actually an infirmary at this place and a doctor actually like fixes up his foot but i really wondered why yeah um, he said it was filled with pus <laughs> or why they even bothered with why they even bothered with doctors at all
2: you mean yeah what was uh, why yeah not sure i mean it, it seems like they actually went through like a lot of effort to keep him alive
0: yeah kind of
2: it just didn't Except make any maybe sense. maybe there just wasn't that much work to do either at the time or maybe
0: it maybe it made sense to like keep some of your able-bodied people alive so they could actually yeah, work. I, I, I guess, know. yeah. So anyway, uh he's like while he's recovering, like the day after this his little like foot surgery thing, they, you know, the rumor goes through the camp that the the Soviets, the Russians are going to be there soon. Um that the the Soviets are moving much closer. Um, and so everyone's like, they're not going to just leave us here. We have to like, we just have to go. We have to like, they're moving all of the prisoners out to another camp, which turns out to be, uh, Buchenwald. There's like, so we just, we just got to go. And he, so he goes, especially cause he wants to stay, try and stay with his father, who's definitely going to be moved out. So he goes and then just like the final, and then it's like, and so, and so we left, we got marched out. And it's like first sentence, next chapter, I found out years later that, that all the people who are still in that infirmary, they just got liberated.
1: Two days later by yeah. the Soviets. Mm-hmm. Because at this point in the war, the Germans are on the retreat, and that's why they keep moving to different camps and like trying to hide the evidence of what they've been doing. And and the characters are... I mentioned several times that they they've already given they've heard enough of this story so many times that they no longer have any hope when they hear about the soviets coming again they're like Mm -hmm. yeah they're not going to get We're they may get here but it's not not going to be in time for us but it starts the intensity ramps up through later 45 uh, 44 rather so they
0: end up having to do like a forced march in the i mean it's basically the winter although really it's Spring forty five or early uh, late you know January February no, forty five the, at this the march
1: time. is the march is late forty four because it's January January seventh seventh sixth
0: that he dies that the father dies anyway yeah you're right so 28th, it's yeah, late late January dead dead of winter and they have to march to basically or Spukenwald is it Czechoslovakia or in Germany anyway it's much farther away from the front
1: it's it, it's in Germany I believe well, wait, this is what the internet's made for I'm not an expert. I thought it yeah, was in Germany. It's, uh, yeah, it's, in, it's near Weimar. It's in Germany. There here. you go. So they have to walk the... Which, that's a really long way.
0: Especially on foot in the middle of the winter with almost no food. And they have to run. They have to actually like run a significant distance as well. And that's where people just can't keep up. And his father can't really keep up very well either. But they somehow managed to get there. They somehow managed to get to... And, and but the father is so sick, he gets dysentery, and then there's all very uh,
1: as if it wasn't shitty enough
0: there, exactly. <laughs> sorry, <I> was... <laughs> no, I mean, the whole we, thing was shitty. We need but jokes, man. <laughs> is, the whole thing was shitty, but podcast. he didn't get dysentery till the end. Um, uh, so the father is very, very sick, and it's clear by this time the son is like he's he, he knows that there's just no hope anymore and even though the father's like it's apparently giving someone with dysentery just giving them water is a really bad idea
2: i think it's because you just your diarrhea gets worse probably i
0: think i think it's because you it just through those if you if you have more fluids you're just going to lose all the fluids but then take you know like salt
2: mm. oh put, yeah you know shed the rest of it
0: yeah and and even like any food you might have had so, but anyway, it's like, yeah, I'll just give him the water anyway, because he says he's really thirsty, and then, you know, he's he he's moaning, and people are like, shut that guy up. The other people, they're in, you know, they're in this, like, um, in the barracks or the camp or whatever, and people shut that guy up, and then, like, the guard comes in, and he's like, the father's basically just kind of ranting, or not ranting, but, you know, mumbling, and the guy hits him and, you know, smacks him in the head really hard. And Ellie just has to sort of wait there on, like, the the upper bunk. And by the time Ellie, like, you know, morning comes and Ellie kind of wakes up, the not only the father dead, but his body has already been moved. And that's where Ellie says that he just, he had no tears. He had no tears left. So I got a beer for this. This is Crying on the Inside by Three's Brewing. And it is a India Pale Ale, and it is 6.7% alcohol. It's nice. Not as super juicy as those other ones, but yeah, I still like it. There's also a lot of crying in the book that was
1: was on the outside, but this (laughs) specific
0: point, it was crying on the
1: inside. Yeah, he says, uh, really, I highlighted this line, uh, because the dad is calling, the thing the dad is like mumbling is he's asking his son to help him. And 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 Ellie is like, shut up, Dad! Like we're gonna get in trouble, and he doesn't help him, and he you know doesn't move, doesn't do anything when the when the SS officer beats the crap out of the dad, and he says his last word was my name, a summons to which I did not respond. It's like Jesus, that's some. You know, that was like his whole, that was like the main thing, keeping, at one point in the book, he also says, like, I knew that if he died, I would die, right? Like, when they still cared, but he had been told shortly before this by, I forget if it was, like, another concentration camp person or, like, the leader of their blo- block or whatever, who was like, don't you get it? It's every man for himself. There are no fathers and sons anymore. There are no brothers. What you should be doing is taking his rations, because he's going to die anyway. And he's like, I, "That should you're right, but I don't want to do that." And then the dad dies, and he's, like, and he's like, "Then he's like, I don't even need to talk about the next four months because it doesn't matter." It's kind of, yep. pretty rough, to say the least.
0: And then he uh, eventually gets liberated, you know, um, in a somewhat exciting manner when the the underground like manages to like uh, on the very last day. You know when most of the
1: most people have already gone, they managed to get liberated, and then it's the end of the book. He sees himself in the mirror for the first time since the war, and he says essentially, "Like I see a corpse looking back at me.
2: Probably looked like a fucking mm-hmm. corpse." Well,
1: if you go look on the uh, Wikipedia page for Elie Wiesel, there's a picture of him in one of the camps, like him at Buchenwald, like five days after it was liberated, and it's just like a scrawny. Vampire face, you know, like there's no, I mean, it's obviously a black and white image, but there's just like it's it just looks like there's nothing there, and it certainly doesn't look like a 16 year old kid's face. So I have a beer from mm. this. <laughs> Sounds like he took, you know, he saw a corpse in the mirror. It's like he had directions to see a ghost. <laughs> this is a beer called Directions to See a Ghost from Burlington Beer Company. A Twelve percent alcohol red wine and bourbon barrel fermented Baltic porter with Sangiovese grapes. More Sangiovese? I don't know if you're from like Sicily. Genovese. You just leave off half. San Genevieve, Kitty Genovese. <laughs> but, Um How do I know that name? That's the woman in Kew Gardens that no one called the police oh, when she was being yeah, raped, the and murdered, or whatever. Yeah, that's a whole which is total. Apparently, that was a yeah. They, not true. It was not actually a thing
2: uh that dude did did kill her oh yeah and, no, that happened but the bystander effect wasn't real
1: yeah and that guy was actually into uh fucking dead people okay so that was his thing uh, anyway so this is a uh, baltic porter which baltic porter uh i don't really know i mean you know it's not a super common style uh that you see so it's like it's a i know it's lagered, so they tend to just be kind of like cleaner lighter flavors which is why probably they're not so popular these days Also, lagers just are more expensive and time-consuming to make. Uh, But this was aged in bourbon barrels and red wine barrels, and it has grapes. So, I was like, this is a pretty wild
2: thing. It's adventurous for a lager.
1: I mean, the main thing I tasted is, like, a really smoky flavor, probably. That's a combination of dark roasted malts and maybe char from the barrel, the bourbon barrel. I don't really get the other flavors. I don't get any red wine, and I don't get any grapes out of this.
2: Interesting that is red wine and grapes. Like, yes, that's what that is
1: i mean there's a faint fruitiness to it but nothing where i'd be like i think there are grapes in this because also grapes are kind of a light flavor you know Hmm. like mostly water they're not really you know it's it's like anything that tastes like grape doesn't taste like a grape that exists on this planet it tastes like purple this 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 doesn't taste like uh i did have cotton candy
2: grapes once what does that even mean there's, a, there's people that breed grapes. They're not like, you know, science GMOs. Uh, but they're just people who cross-breed grapes until they get weird flavors. And there's one called the Cotton Candy Grapes. And it tastes like fucking cotton candy. It's bizarre.
1: That sounds amazing. Where does one get this?
2: I usually at bougie stores, like a fairway maybe. But they're, they're very seasonal. So you can only get them in a certain window. But you can get them. They're interesting. But it doesn't taste like that beer probably. that I don't even want a cotton candy flavored beer. That sounds like some evil water shit.
1: <laughs> so um, that's the end of the plot, right? Um, it's a but not hundred the end of the story.
2: Pages. Well,
1: there are like
2: <laughs> two... Yeah, there are two more, but I've, but it, I've I never heard of any I think they're actually...
1: Yeah, it's night. Oh, this is night, and then there's like dawn and day, or I uh, forget the order. I've also never read them, but I think they're not memoirs i think they're more fictional things that take place for a holocaust survivor but they're not actually his story any longer whereas this is his memoir mm. well i mean what do you think you know what was, your, what was your response well what's your reading who read this we all read it before right i know jimmy we both read, we read, read it in high, school, year yeah. in high school i did not read it in high school but i did i have read you it, it on didn't my happen own. yet <laughs> you guys were still preparing for world war one um <laughs> when did you read it though Nate? how old are you like seriously Oh it was like How many five years ago, ago. Okay, okay, so you read it as a as a, as an grown adult. yeah, and we read it when we were like fifteen, yeah i and that's i so I think you know are one of our usual questions? who should read this? I think we'd all agree everyone should read this, I would mm-hmm. think right,
2: yeah, absolutely, but why make kids read this? <laughs> that is a weird thing, but I had one thought on that. it was like for us, we went to a nerd high school, and all the kids were fairly. They were smart. They had to be to get in, not to brag. Uh, Mm. We achieved middling success in high school, Michael and I. Um, but look at us now, (laughs) baby. But like we, this was not something like, wow, I've never heard of this before. But like my wife teaches high school English and her kids are, you know, they're much lower income kids. A lot of them are from other countries. Uh, A lot of them are project kids. And they read this book and they straight up ask her, Did this really happen? I know a lot of adults these days still ask that, but they're fucking idiots. But these kids <laughs> really just don't know that the Holocaust was a thing. Or they like heard about it, and they're like, yeah, I heard it was bad. I mean, I had a friend in grad school. We were walking by a protest for something that was happening with Israel in the city. And it got, you know, talk, brought about the Holocaust. And he was, was like, you know, they they killed a lot of Jews in the Holocaust. He's like, yeah, I mean, but like how many? He's like, how many do you think they killed? He's like, I don't know, you know, five, ten thousand. 10,000. He's like, dude, they killed 6 million of them. And he was, he was... Plus fu- another
1: 3 million
2: other group. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I was talking about just the Jews. He was, yeah. and he was just amazed. And he was doing his mid-20s. He was like, What? He's getting a degree in music, dude, so he wasn't like... (laughs) Yeah, and he's a drummer, so he can barely fucking read. (laughs) But, you know, there's an astounding amount of unawareness, even among people who, you know, know it's a thing. But nowadays, it's every generation. It gets one generation further removed. Like, it's just something these kids know tangentially about, but they don't know. And then you never get to World War II in history class oh, yeah. <laughs> till the very end, if you get it there at all.
1: Yeah, in, in, in social studies, you're like, we're going to work our way up to the present day and you only get to like 1920. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, it's June. Fuck it. <laughs> I'm going to put on movies for the rest of the
2: year. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, It's should kids read it? They shouldn't have to read this, but maybe they should because no one else is going to fucking tell them. Not because they don't want to, but just because there's just a finite amount of time in the universe this is a hundred five page book also i
0: I think that's one of the reasons it is done in schools is because it is really i mean it's really about 100 pages and gets the story across you know gets what happened across really really well also high school's the last time you really are going to be able to mandate that people read a particular thing because, you know, not that many people, it's really only about one-third, about one-third of the country goes to college. And then, and there's the no set curriculum there at all. People are doing all kinds of classes and all kinds of different things. And, you know, it wouldn't make sense to have a national, like, you know, first year, you know, freshman in college curriculum. It doesn't make sense. So, if you're really, if you're going to do it, if you're going to say this is important, if this is an important thing that everyone should read. It's at a reading level where it kind of has to be high school, and high school is the last time you can do it. So give it to high schoolers.
1: You know, I also think there's an element for high schoolers. You know, high school is when you're developing into your adult self in many ways, like your personality is kind of calcifying. Mm. And kids in high school are so self-centered and oblivious to anything outside of their own experience. And maybe there's something valuable about reading something like this to help them develop some shred of empathy because, I mean, you have to be like a real sociopath to actually read this book and not feel something <laughs> to, to, to for what happens. I mean, maybe it's easier if you're like a boy thinking of your father than it is if you're a young woman reading it. But you can't, you can't read this book and be like, whatever, that was kind of boring. I like the middle. Like you can't <laughs> – like how could you not – I mean, I, I can't imagine like, I was not a big reader in high school This is one of the only books I actually read The, actual, the whole way through in high school And I read it in one night I was, like, I was like, I better fucking start reading this book And then I was like, it was done I was like, holy shit And it's something that I sticks with you that.
2: Well, you don't forget most of it I mean, I forgot a lot of the details But it's, it stays in your mind Yeah, I remember when I, uh, I read Actually reread
1: the whole book today <laughs> And uh, as did I and there was just so much that I was like, "Oh yeah, do you remember, I remember what's gonna happen now?" and I remember like, down to like certain lines like i uh, like, oh yeah, and this is gonna be the scene where he said and the soup tasted like corpses that night you know i you it, if you actually read it, it will stick with you, but it, it is i don't know, I mean I guess everyone should read it to understand the the holocaust and you know, but maybe you know just to play devil's advocate. Maybe it might be better to read a book that, you know, I don't know if one one such book exists that actually tells you about, like, the whole thing as opposed to one person's testimony.
2: I mean, World War II and the Holocaust are such a fucking vast subject that any one book is never going to be enough. So, yes, you should definitely read other stuff. There's definitely other books that explain how this happened and... What the people were doing and why they did this. But for the perspective of who it affected, there probably isn't a better book for that. And this kind of started that. I mean, didn't,
1: it wasn't the first, but it's like the cornerstone of Holocaust mem- memoir literature. Oh, yeah. There are many other books, but probably I can't, I don't know of one as famous as this
2: The Tattooist of Auschwitz.
1: God damn. That Fucking book, you know, I was just looking on uh, on Goodreads that we, we read The Tattooist of Auschwitz because you're like, Oh, this is popular, and that person made us read it, so thanks again, dick. <laughs> that fucking garbage book, it's salt, you know. It's like you know, I was thinking Nate called The Tattooist of Auschwitz the Hallmark movie about the Holocaust, <laughs> <I> and <mean>, it's <laughs> what it was, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's exactly what it was. Um, and they said it couldn't guy. be done and this is uh this is Schindler's well, list. technically it hasn't <laughs> been done because it's still just a book, but you know. So I was looking on the Goodreads the Tattooist of Auschwitz that fucking garbage book has half as many ratings as Night. Like and it's only been out like 2 years, 3 years yeah. at most. Has has a half a million ratings and it has a re- a score on Goodreads of like
2: 4 and a quarter percent. Well, you also have to take into account that People that read that probably already had a Goodreads account when they read it, and were the people who would like go and read that if they, if you sought that out, you'd read it and you'd like it maybe Night is something you read as a kid or you read a while ago and maybe you got a good translator, later and you didn't get around to updating every book you ever read in your lifetime and you didn't you, know, you read night when you were young and you didn't want to read it again you are like oh, I remember that was a fucking nightmare so there's a little bit of probably explanation of about why that is, and also. Tati which is, a, is pop trash, and that's going to attract a shitload of people. It's just the way people are, which is, you know, nothing wrong with that. It's just the way it is. That's all fair. I would just say, though, that any, any person
1: who makes a Goodreads account and is obsessed with making lists, speaking from personal experience, will definitely rack their brain and think of every book they ever read and put it on there. <laughs> I definitely did that when I made my Goodreads account, and I was like, what else did I
2: read? I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe they read it, but they might not remember it. I was like, I, don't, I will read that again one day. I don't want to rate it without reading it again because I haven't read it in 20 years. Like, I know it was good, but I, you know.
1: God, it's been almost 20 years since I read this book. The first. Fuck. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I don't really know what else to say about it. I mean, it's, it's just a book
2: you should read. <laughs> I had one other thing. Um, back when we were planning to do that, we, we've been planning to do this book for a long time, and we kept putting it off. Because you're like, well, how are we going to do that? It, it, does, it does not fit our theme of drinking and joking about books in any way. It's almost inappropriate. But here we Most. are now. And, <laughs> but I read a few other books f- about this era that I think, if you want to know more, are very interesting. Um, yes. As well, you know, said, Mike, about reading more books about this that give you a bigger picture. Uh, one is called The Death of Democracy by Benjamin Carter Het, and it's basically the story of how the Nazis took over. Because, you know, in high school you get the whole, like, people were upset, and there was a depression, and they didn't like the Jews, so they voted for the Nazis. And it's not what really what happened. It was no, an incredibly complex thing based on the intricacies of the German parliamentary system that make no sense to us, because we don't have that, and it's old and dumb. But it was way more complicated than that. But it is infinitely interesting to learn how it could come to this because, you know, this will be studied for centuries about, like, how did... Basically, the Weimar Republic, Weimar Republic, if you're being pedantic, um, was... accurate. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's like people who always say, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to Paris. Like, okay, yeah, I get it. But, um, you know, it was one of the most free and open not left wing, but you know, the Berlin was like the gay capital of the world in the thirties. And they went from that in the twenties, the twenties. Yeah. Twenties. Uh, and they went from that to the fucking Nazis in a decade. And you wonder how did this happen? And this book lays it out pretty good. Um, so that's like the, how did it get there? And another book that came out like in the fifties, I forget exactly when in the fifties, but, you mean the one by Hannah Arendt? No, the banality of evil.
0: No. Uh, well, okay. While well, you're looking, looking yeah, at look up that up, I was going to recommend another book, yeah. which is called "The Road to Unfreedom" by historian Timothy Snyder. I like that word. He's the one who wrote that like very short book we did several years oh, ago on tyranny. Yeah, on tyranny. But this is um, sort of a big. This is actually on book. tyranny now. Definitely on tyranny. It's
2: not only about Nazi Germany. It's also about the Soviet Union. Okay. So, this other book uh, came out in 1955, written by a guy named Milton Meyer. Uh, He was a, a journalist, I believe, and he was a Jewish guy. He went back to Germany after the war to interview a bunch of people, and he calls them his 10 friends. And these people were Nazis, but they weren't like the high power, the party people. They were just everyday germans that became nazis joined the war effort to varying degrees he interviewed them and found out how they thought about what had happened and what how they got to this point and where they were at now and it's fucking weird like all the people were like oh the camps that was all bullshit that didn't really happen or it wasn't that bad and like oh you know we joined because it seemed like what's what we were supposed to do we, you know it made sense at the time we joined because you know we were proud germans and some of them weren't even that anti-Semitic, but they all joined the Nazi party. It's, it's worth, it's worth a, read, a read if you are into history at all, especially World War II stuff. It's, it's one of the most interesting World War II books I've read, which I haven't read that many of because I'm not in my 40s or 50s yet as a white man.
1: You're not a dad who has his own special yeah, chair no, that I you don't. just read
2: World War II I books have on? I have a couch and I've read several World War II books, but not that many.
1: Uh, See, not a dad. Speaking as the only dad here, unless Jimmy has some bastards around town he doesn't know about, Uh, or Nate does maybe. I don't know. Only do it in the butt. (laughs) You can't get the butt (laughs) pregnant. That's true. Uh, Science. Uh, uh, I was going to say, I was making fun of you. But. <laughs> uh, got distracted <laughs> about making fun of dads. Oh yeah, you're not really a dad, uh, a World War II dad, until you read books about like specific models of submarine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> when, you read, like, when you read that book, you're like, oh, look at the volume two of Inside of the the U-boat model, whatever. And you're like, oh, sweet. It's really interesting how the dining quarters were were not near the restrooms. <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks, pops. Uh, If I could touch one more book, I actually took a whole class in grad school on just 20th century German history. That was fun. (laughs) And uh, so really it was pretty much all just 1918 to 1946 was really what the class focused on. Uh, And uh, a lot of it was, uh, that's where I read that ordinary men book by Christopher Browning. But the question was essentially what, what made Germany special to, to to be like to end up here? There's a name for this: the, the Sonder, the Sonderweck, uh theory, that which means special path in German. That, that that Germany has been on this strange, corrupt path for perhaps centuries of things that have been brewing that led to the World War II and the Holocaust. But uh, another book that I still out that was really good that really focused on kind of the transition from weimar germany which is germany really right after world war one is finally settled to to the nazis a book called germans into nazis by peter fritz fritz which is looks pretty german that name which is another really good book uh, on this too so there are lots of i mean i think realistically if you read night and you're like i get it you don't <laughs> like you should <laughs> you should read more there are plenty of other things but there's a lot i mean this it probably isn't any topic that has more historiography or whatever about it, you know? The American Civil War. That that, that might win. But other than that, All right. maybe nothing One else. of those two. Yeah, that was the only one I was thinking. That, because then you also get like Lincoln and shit like that. and uh, Like 15 different, uh, what the hell is that guy's name? Fuck it, we'll do it live. Was that guy? Fox? Phil O'Reilly. O'Reilly. Phil O'Reilly. He had like you know, killing, killing Lincoln and hunting John Wilkins. Wool- he had a whole bunch of shitty books. I mean, and killing,
2: killing everybody. He didn't
1: write any of those, but they were published under his name. He's cashing the checks. Uh, yes, but, yes, he is. So yeah, so that that might be the other one. But there's there's so much more to to learn about this. We just don't read those kind of books on the podcast. We just kind of read them in our. Our uh, nascent dotage as we become older men and realize <laughs> it's been uh, two decades since we read a book for the first time and it's not a picture book. Uh, so everyone should read it. And we had some other books we recommended, which is rare. We don't normally do that. We don't normally give you like a homework. But well, that's because we don't normally do a lot of nonfiction. That's true. We haven't done too many other memoirs, right?
2: Not the, many. The Glass Castle.
1: That was a memoir. Uh, can't even think of any other more off the top of my head. Angela's dashes. Oh.
2: No, oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. There you go. Uh, Shuggy Bean. Not a memoir, but basically a memoir. Yeah. A re-memoir.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Or
1: follow us on Twitter at drunkeyesbc, Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunk guys book Club. And again, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club and get all sorts of cool stuff or just leave us a review wherever you're listening and just round up to five stars. Uh, That would be really helpful. And find us on Goodreads. We are all named drunk guy. Oh, and if you're looking to uh, if you want to you know, drink competitively, but digitally, we have an untapped and you can follow and see what we're drinking. We'd love to see what you're drinking, too, because beer is cool. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer
0: podcasters. And thanks for listening.